Hey guys, thank you so much for tuning into this podcast. I want to invite you to stay updated with me on social media and see what we are doing in the ministry. You can follow me on Facebook at John Wallace. You can follow me on Instagram at Jonathan R. Wallace. And you can follow our YouTube page at New Beginnings Huntington. I pray this message builds your faith and gives you revelation. Let's get ready for the Word of God. You know, I wanted to say, as we were worshiping, why it's so important, you know, because we don't, we don't just do that. Uh, when we worship, it's not just songs and it's not just singing. Honestly, it's entering into his presence and really just pressing into the spirit. Uh, and that's why, you know, anytime we open up a service, it's not just about like, well, that's what you're supposed to do, right? You just sing a couple songs and that's what you do in church. I know even for me, when I go into times of prayer at my home, I love to even just turn it on on the YouTube or whatever, and I'll have a worship team plan, and I'll begin to, you know, pray in the Spirit. Um, and, and I mean, it's just crazy, but because the thing about it, truly and honestly, is when people worship, for instance, I don't think I'm, you know, that talented or great at singing. My wife, she is very gifted at singing. She's anointed. And I'll say that as well. The anointing is actually different than just a, an ability. It's a grace that God gives you, and when you operate in it, it kind of God's presence, the Spirit, begins to move and fill the room. And, and so when somebody's operating in their spiritual gift, uh, it just gives access to the presence of the Lord. And so I love doing that even on a Wednesday night because, guys, I'm telling you, it's really the key to life. It's the key to everything. We have to, as believers, learn how to, even if we're having a hard week or a bad week or whatever, get in the presence, get in the Spirit of God, hear the voice of the Lord. Um, you can do things during worship like pray in the Spirit and then begin to prophesy and interpret the things that you're, that you're, that you're praying. And, and it's a great time to practice those things uh, and just really like press into the Spirit. And so I felt led to just say that as we do that, I want you to intentionally engage because it's the key to so much in life, being able to just instant access, get into his presence and learn how to get solutions to the things that we're facing in our life. Amen. Amen. A couple of announcements we have uh, this Sunday night, the gathering. It's a couple weeks early. We're normally going to do it on the last Sunday of every month, but um, I'll be leaving after service the last Sunday of this month. I'll be here Sunday morning service, but after the service that evening, we're going to be going to Tampa, Florida, to Dr. Rodney's uh, Ministers and Leaders Conference. And so that's why we moved it up a couple of weeks. So it's this Sunday. So I say that to say, make sure you're here, move things around. If you were at the last meeting, you know the Holy Ghost just did an amazing work. God's already been giving me downloads of things that he wants to do specifically, um, in this meeting, and I think it's going to be a powerful time. I know the Lord's told me there's things that we need to intercede for as a church. Um, I can pray all day long. You can pray all day long. But I just know the Lord's saying when we come together uh, in the spirit and, and, and go into a time of intercession and begin to knock some of these things down that he's going to show us. You know, we're really going to we're going to see results and something's going to break forth in the spirit of God uh, in this community in our region, you know, whatever it is that the Lord would lead us to intercede for. And so be a part of that. I'm telling you guys, seriously, those are the things that are going to mark your life.
Bring your children to be a part of that. Those are the things that are going to mark your children's lives. And you'll eat the fruit of these meetings if you'll come. You'll see the fruit of it for years to come. It's going to be powerful. Uh, November 7th, throw that slide up. We have David King. We have two revival services happening November 7th. We're going to have, he's going to preach a Sunday morning. Uh, powerful minister coming out of Dallas, Fort Worth area. He ministers with Dr. Rodney Howard Brown's brother. Uh, they do meetings and crusades together. And so... He's a part of that ministry. He'll be here Sunday morning and Sunday night at six o'clock. So make sure November 7th, um, it is going to be an evangelistic service. So I say that is, yes, we're going to be fed and receive impartation, but invite people, invite lost people, invite your friends and family members that, that maybe even if they're saved, but they haven't had, you know, more like they just they've been saved. They have prayed the prayer, but they've never had an encounter with the spirit of God. Invite them to these meetings because this is where they're going to have that encounter. That's happening November 7th. Amen. I want to get through Romans three tonight. So if you have your Bibles, let's go ahead and turn to Romans chapter three. Let me pray and we'll get into this. Father, thank you for your word. Lord, we just don't want to take it lightly. And we hold it in reverence. Father, I ask for your help tonight as we go over this word. If there's something that you're wanting me to say, I give you permission, even though that's absurd to say. But as a human, I yield myself. Let the Holy Spirit speak through me and say things that need to be said and give us insight and wisdom and revelation to your word. Thank you, Lord, that this word will go forth uh, and it will produce results in our life. I pray for every heart. That it would be good ground for the seed of the word of God to fall on. That it wouldn't, the word wouldn't be choked out by the thorns. Uh, it wouldn't be choked out by the shallow rocks, the shallow ground and dry up. Uh, I thank you, Lord, that it would, be, it would fall. The word would fall on fertile soil that would produce 30, 60, and 100 times what is sown tonight. In Jesus' mighty name, everybody said. Amen. Amen. Y'all, I'm excited to do this. And again... I love like the Lord's always given me messages throughout the week. You sometimes see me jumping on Facebook and preaching and I love to preach. I could probably preach like every day. I just that's what I love to do. And that's how the Lord speaks to me. Uh, but he always brings me back to, to on Wednesdays, although we will have different services sometimes. Well. Check. Somebody come grab this mic and put new batteries in it for me. On Wednesdays, we're going to kind of try to stick to the Romans uh, and the Bible outline. And, and the reason for this is because Sundays, like if you guys were here last Sunday, it was really cool. We shared a prophetic dream. We taught from the word of, of God and gave the word of the Lord. And, you know, all that stuff is so important for you to experience the power of God, for you to experience the movement of the Holy Spirit. But it's also important for us to make time to just build solid Bible doctrine. So much of what's wrong with Christianity and Christians today is Christians don't have solid Bible doctrine in their life. They're, they have wrong believing, wrong thinking, thoughts that don't come from the Bible at all. It's come from man's religion. And so one good thing about what we're doing here is we're just going verse by verse, you know, and we're going to just take every little nugget that we come and, and sometimes it may bring us down a, a little rabbit hole and uh, a side trail, but that's okay. 
You know, we're just going to take it verse by verse and, and just look at the Bible, what it says, word for word, thought for thought, precept for precept. So let's look at Romans chapter three. We went over one and two. We started this last week. I'm going to give you a quick summary of the first two verses. Let's read them. So when, what's the advantage of being a Jew? Uh, to kind of give you some context going into this, Paul's been making this case to these Jewish people that right, they thought they were the only ones that were accepted by God. They thought that they were special. And the Gentiles, they viewed them as dogs and pagans. And you know they, they didn't belong to the Lord. And then Paul actually begins to build this case and say, actually... Just because you're circumcised and you grew up a Jewish boy doesn't make you a true son of Abraham, right? That's what they called themselves. We're the children of Abraham. We're the descendants of Abraham. We're the children of the promise. And Paul said, actually, just because you're a Jew doesn't make you a true child of the promise. A true child of the promise is one whose heart's been made right with God. All right. So Paul said, it doesn't matter if you're a Jew or you're a Gentile. You have to get saved the same way, which is the case he's building through Jesus Christ. Uh, so then in verse three, the Jews begin to kind of ask, well, then if that's the case, is there any is there any significance at all to us being Jewish and, and coming from the 12 tribes of Israel and having that relationship with God? And Paul says uh, in verse one, then what's the advantage of being a Jew? Is there any value in the ceremony of circumcision? Verse two, he said, yes, there is great benefits. First of all, the Jews were entrusted with the whole revelation of God. I asked you this question last week. I'll ask it again. What is the revelation of God he's talking about? The word of God. So he's saying the Jews, they did have an advantage because they were the only people group on the planet that were given the revelation of God, which was the word of God. So to break that down a little bit, uh, as we read through Romans 1 and Romans 2, Paul said that every human being has an in, uh, intuitive knowledge of who God is, right? That's why you can look at, go to South America and, and dig up an old reservation of a native, of an of a Indian tribe, and they have altars. They have gods that they worship. Why is that? Because on the inside of every man, they knew that there was a higher being. They knew that there was a God. So he said the Jews had special privilege because they were the only ones that actually knew who that God was. Right? So that was one of the significant things. Uh, they, were, they had been given the Word of God. And it's just something the Lord had me teach on last week. Was the Bible actually says that the Word of God is the key to prosperity on the earth. So did you know... I remember I had an argument with a church board one time. There was like nine elders that were hell-bent on telling me that God doesn't want His people to prosper. I remember I asked them the question. I said, because they came at me and said, well, we don't believe that it's God's will for every believer to prosper. And I said, really? You know, they, and I'm like, for several reasons, that's just wacky thinking to me. I said, so you believe it's God's will for some believers to prosper and for some believers to be poor? That doesn't make sense to me. Does it make sense to you? I mean, that, like, and the reason for that, and I was like, well, yeah, that, that sounds really good when you're the pastor and you're the leader and you have a nice new house and a nice new car and you're blessed and prosperous and all of these things. And then you're going to say, well, it's God's will for me to have this, but there are some that are poor and that's the place that God's given them. I said, I don't believe that at all. Uh, 
But I asked this question. I said, so you don't believe that it's God's will for everyone to prosper. Let me ask you this question. Do you believe it's God's will for every believer to obey the word of God? And they said, well, yeah, we believe that. I said, okay, well, according to Psalms 1, according to Joshua chapter 1, according to Deuteronomy chapter 28, according to John chapter 15, it all says the same thing. When you obey the Word of God, the fruit of obeying the Word of God is it will produce prosperity in your life. Psalms 1, verse 3. It says, go ahead and put it on the screen for me. It's up there. The joys of those. Now, yeah, they are planted along the riverbank. Go back to verse 2. But they delight in the law of the Lord and meditate on it day and night. Verse 3. They are like trees planted along the riverbank bearing fruit in each season. Their leaves never wither and they prosper. Say prosper. And all that they do. So that's the same thing that God told Joshua in Joshua chapter 1. He said... Joshua, take my words, be strong and courageous, and be careful to observe all the commands that I've given you today. And do not deviate from them, turning either to the right or the left. If you do, says the Lord, you will prosper and be successful in everything that you do. So, the way that I can break this down simply, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Right? The Lord told me this, I don't know, a year ago, two years ago, but he just said, John, there's actually only one way to do life, right? I created life on this earth and there's only one way to do it. And so the Lord said, when you get outside of man's thinking and you actually come into my way of doing things, it will, it, it will cause you to succeed and prosper because that's the way I created things to be. That's the, that's the way I created things to function. Does that make sense to everybody? So that's why it's so simple. When you obey the Word of God, it will produce prosperity in your life. Amen. Um, we talked about in verse... Uh, you know, they had been given the full oracles of God. And so this was an amazing blessing. But there's also responsibility that came. So if you think about it, you know, God, I don't know if you guys realize this, but in the Bible, God actually held the Israelites to a different standard than he did the rest of the world. The reason for that being was they had been given the word of God. And so basically when God judged the Pharisees and God judged his people, and, and I'm not going to go into the theology of all of those things, but Jesus came, and if you even study the parables, if you're familiar with the parables of Jesus and, and, and several of the parables, he talked about how God sent different servants and they were rejected, right? There's a parable of the, of the vineyard that the master leased to tenants. And it says that when harvest season came, the master sent his servant and they, they beat him, they spit on him, they rejected him. So he came back and he said, you know what, I'll send another servant. And so he went and sent another servant and they rejected him, sent him away, beat him up. So finally, the master said, I know I'll send my son. Surely they'll listen then. And he sent his son and it says that they killed him. And so basically, Jesus told the generation that was present when he was on this earth. He looked at Jerusalem and said, you have killed God's prophets. 
And, and judgment shall fall on this generation. This generation shall not pass before you see this judgment come to fruition. And I'm giving you a lot of information, I know, but just stay with me. And in 70 AD, right, that was 40 years after Jesus ascended into heaven, Jerusalem was actually destroyed. All of its citizens were killed and the temple was destroyed. So people don't know, historically, God's judgment fell in that generation. 40 years was a, was a biblical generation in 70 AD in Jerusalem. Uh, and so I say all that to say, God held them accountable because they were not ignorant of His Word. They had the Word of God and they rejected the Word of God. They had the truth, they rejected the truth. So let's even think about this thought. Who was Jesus talking about? And if you were at small groups last night, we talked about this. But if you weren't, who was Jesus talking about when He hung on the cross and He said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Who was He talking about? The Gentiles that were crucifying Him. You know? Because if you study what Jesus said, He already pronounced judgment on Jerusalem. So how would that make sense? Judgment shall fall on this generation. Then He hangs on a cross and says, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. He wasn't talking about the Jews. He was talking about the Gentiles that never had the Word, that didn't know who He was, and was nailing them to the cross. And He says, look, Lord, they're committing this horrible crime against You, but they don't know because they've never had Your Word. So I say all this to say, when we have God's Word, we are held to a... Uh, Whoa, that is really loud. Let me switch mics. If y'all will help me keep these batteries changed, I didn't think about it. Um, when we have God's Word, we are held to a certain level of accountability. Amen. Amen. You know, and, and the Bible actually talks about this. In Romans chapter 1, we studied what a reprobate mind was. Right? So if you were here for Romans chapter 1, we, we went through the Scriptures and it talks about how everybody has this intuitive knowledge of who God is. And all throughout our lives, God is constantly making His appeal to us, reaching out, trying to reveal Himself to us. And the Bible actually says in Romans chapter 1 that there is a line that we can cross where God turns us over to a reprobate mind. You know, I don't know how that works with the theology that there's just no mountain that you can climb up or valley that you can run down and he just won't stop chasing after you. Guys, I'm telling you, it's not what the Bible actually says. Jesus said, abide in me and what? I'll abide in you. Remain in me and I'll remain in you. But we just kind of teach people that, that, that it doesn't matter what you do and it doesn't matter what you do with the word of the Lord. You know, he, he'll basically, he's just a dog that will just keep chasing you and chasing you and chasing you. Guys, I want to say this. God is extremely merciful. He is so full of grace. He's so full of mercy. He's slow to get angry. He's quick to forgive. He's loving. Uh, but there is a line that we can cross where the Bible says he turns us over to a reprobate mind, which basically means we're damned to hell. And so... When we hear the word of the Lord, we cannot take it lightly. That's why the Bible says today when you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Because it's a serious thing 
to hear the word of the Lord and then just nonchalantly like, oh, okay, whatever, you know. Okay, I know that it says that, but I'm going to keep doing my thing. I know that it says that, but I'm going to keep living my life the way that I want to live it. I'm telling you, we're accountable for the word that we hear. If there's anything you want to write down tonight, write that down. I am accountable for what I hear. Isn't that what God told Ezekiel when he called him a watchman? He said, go and tell the people this message. If they reject it, your, your hands are clean. But if you don't go tell them and they die in, in their sin, I'm going to hold you accountable for their death. I'm going to hold you accountable for their sins, the Lord told them. So here's the point. Once the message was given, the people had a responsibility and they were held accountable for what they had heard. So I say all that to say, we don't grow up in a place, we don't grow up in a time when we're ignorant to the word of God and we haven't had opportunities to hear the word of the Lord. You guys, I'm going to tell you, it's not going to fly when we stand before God. Uh, and we've just done nothing with our life and we're just ignorant when it comes to the Bible. It's not going to fly when we say, Lord, I just didn't know. And he looks at our heart. And he knows every thought we've ever... Th he looks at the situation and he can see right through it to the truth. And he says, no, it's not that you didn't know. It's not that you didn't have opportunity to know. You lived a life where you rejected my word and chose to chase after the things that just please your flesh. And now you're standing before me like you had no idea that any of this was going to happen. That's not going to fly when we stand before God. So... There was obviously benefit that they were Jews. They had the revelation of God. Let's keep reading. Uh, verse 3 and 4. True, some of them were unfaithful. But just because they were unfaithful, does that mean that God will be unfaithful? Of course not. Even if everyone else is a liar, God is true. As the Scriptures say about Him, you will be proved right in what you say, and you will win your case in court. So, even if you are unfaithful, does that mean that God will be unfaithful? Absolutely not. I'm going to give you two points from this. Number one, here's a point. God always keeps His Word. So what is this talking about? This is talking about the covenant that God made with the Jewish people. Right? He had a special covenant that he made with Moses. He made with Abraham and all of his descendants. God made a special covenant with them. And what the Bible says is, yes, time went on and the Israelites actually began to drift away from that covenant. But God never changed his mind about that covenant. When God makes a promise, he keeps his end of the deal every single time, all the time. So the Bible says, even though they were unfaithful, God was never unfaithful to the covenant that he made. You know, so that's the most amazing thing is now it makes sense why in the Old Testament, you know, they would they would uh, you'd see this pattern. Things would begin to go really bad for the Israelites because they started worshiping other gods and they started Worshipping the pagan gods and, and disobeying the law and disobeying the word of God and, and destruction would come into their life. And then what would happen? They would repent. And then what? They would be blessed again. Why were they blessed again once they repented? 
Because as far as God was concerned, He never withdrew His covenant. And He never withdrew any of the promises that He gave them. The only reason they weren't experiencing it is because by their actions, they had removed themselves from the covenant promises of God. And the moment that they repented and readjusted themselves, they immediately began to uh, get to partake in those promises once again. So God always keeps His word. This is a scripture that I love. It's one of my favorite scriptures in the Bible. Numbers 23, 19. It says, God is not a man. He does not lie. He is not a human. He does not change his mind. Has he ever spoken and failed to act? Has he ever promised and not carried it through? Go ahead and put verse 20. Can you do that? Put verse 20 up. Listen and receive. Okay, I didn't. I don't have it on my page. Okay, so God's not a man that he should not lie. He's not a human. He doesn't change his mind. Has he ever spoken and failed to act? Has he ever promised and not carried it through? Guys, I'm telling you, if you will, if you will get this scripture in your spirit, it will build so much faith in your life. Y'all are being awfully quiet tonight. This means that not one promise of the Bible has gone away. That means that you can stand on a word from the Lord despite what your situation looks like through different points in your life and come back to this and say, Lord, I know, I know, I know, I know that you'll do what you say because your word says, have you ever spoken and failed to act? Have you ever promised and not carried it through? You're not a man that you should lie. The Lord says, I do not lie. What I have said, I have established and I will do what I said. Guys, God always keeps his word. Amen. Amen. So how is this important? Because when things go wrong in our lives, what most people do is they start blaming God. Right. Well, I guess God didn't do it, right? Think about healing. Think about whenever you know, we pray for somebody to be healed or one of the promises in the word and then it doesn't happen. What do we automatically do? Well, I guess God decided not to do it. Is God a man that he should lie? Did he say in Isaiah 53, 5, that by his stripes we are healed? And 1 Peter 2, 24 repeated the exact same verse. Where James taught and, and preached from the same precept. Are any of you sick? Bring your sick before the elders of the church. Their prayer offered in faith with the anointing of oil shall make them well. Y'all with me tonight? So the most amazing thing is we start blaming God. Why am I not prospering? Why am I not seeing these things? Maybe God changed his mind. But when you get this in your spirit, that God always remains faithful to his word, we actually begin to stop looking at God, what are you doing wrong? And begin to evaluate, where am I missing it? Where am I out of faith? Where am I? You know, there's people that sit around and wonder, uh, why did this thing just fall apart in my life? And if you look at their life, it's because for six months they weren't even walking in faith. For six months they were just living in the flesh, not obeying the word of the Lord, not 
You know, most people don't even know what faith is. Believing in your heart, confessing with your mouth, acting on the confession that you make, standing on the Word of God. They'll go for six months not standing on anything in the Word of God, not speaking anything out of their mouth, and then their entire life falls apart, and then they want to look up and blame God and say, I thought I was supposed to be blessed. I thought I was supposed to prosper. I thought this, I thought that. God always keeps His promises. If we're not seeing His promises, the problem's not with God, it's with us. Amen. Amen. And the minute that you get that in your spirit, God's Word is established and it does not change. If you had a family member, if you had a spouse that was on a deathbed and they died, you don't start saying, the Lord just, He just needed another angel in heaven. You're changing the Word of God. Well, you know, I prayed and and the Lord told me that it was, you know, that he was going to take them this time. Jesus said the enemy comes to steal, kill and destroy. But I have came that you may have life and life abundantly. People say, well, that's talking about spiritual life. Well, you can't really make that case reading Matthew, Mark, Luke and John when he went around giving people physical life, physically resurrecting Lazarus from the dead, physically opening blind eyes and deaf ears. He wasn't just talking about spiritual life. He was also talking about physical life. Amen. Amen. But we just make those things up because it helps us. It, It gives us comfort, I guess, that somehow the Lord was sovereign in this. Instead of believing his word, his word does not change. Amen. Amen. Uh, So let me give you another point. Number two of this. This is verse three and four. Which says, even if God, even if everyone else is a liar, God is true. I want to read that in the New King James. Who has that in the New King James or King James? I believe it says, let God be true and everyone else a liar. Is that what it says? Read it out. Certainly not. Indeed, let God be true and every man a liar. Certainly let God be true and every man a liar. Write this down tonight. God's word supersedes man's opinion. God's word supersedes man's opinion. Guys, this is a, a philosophy every believer needs to adopt in their life. Let God be true and every man a liar. If anything that a man says conflicts with the word of God, God's word is always true. I want to tell you right now, it doesn't matter who the man is. If the president of the United States, even when you liked him, started speaking something that wasn't the word of God, you don't just start compromising. Well, I really like that person. You know, I'm going to no. I don't care who you are. God's word is true every time, all the time. And anybody that says anything that conflicts with the word. Let let man, let God's word be true and every man a liar. Look at Galatians 1, 8 through 9. Look what Paul said. He said, let God's curse fall on anyone, including us or even an angel from heaven who preaches a different kind of good news than the one we preach to you. I say it again. What we have said before, if anyone preaches another good news than one 
than the one you welcome. Let that person be accursed. Another translation says, let that person be damned. You know what Paul was saying? That God's word is the ultimate authority. Don't even say ultimate authority. Say God's word is the only authority. The only authority. So what Paul said was, I don't care if it's me. I don't care if it's Apostle Peter. I don't care if you see a, a light shine in the sky and an angel come down and begin to tell you another message. If it's, if it's contrary to this word, let that angel be damned, Paul said. So what does that show you? God's word is the only authority in our life. A good philosophy to adopt is God said it, that settles it. Amen. God said it, that settles it. You know how many Christian arguments could be settled if every Christian believed that? We're sitting here bickering about something. Go to the Word. God said it, that settles it. Well, I don't really like it. Doesn't matter. God said it, that settles it. It becomes dangerous when you begin to try to conform the word to fit your own narrative. You already have an agenda, you have a narrative, and then you want to go to the Bible and try to cherry pick one thing to make it fit something that you're trying to say. No, study the word of God, let the word of God be true, and every opinion that comes into conflict with the word, cast it down and cast it out and take sides with God's word. Verse 5. Uh, some of you might say our sinfulness serves as a good purpose for it helps people see how righteous God is. Isn't it unfair then for him to punish us? We'll read through verse eight. This is merely a human point of view. Of course not. If God were not entirely fair, how would he be qualified to judge the world? But someone might still argue, how can God condemn me as a sinner if my dishonesty highlights his faithfulness and brings, me more glory, brings him more glory? Some people even slander us by claiming when they say, the more we sin, the better it is. Those who say such, a, uh, such things deserve to be condemned. Guys, let me just make a very surface level observation from this. Paul is saying... Sin is not good. Right? Because he preaches this message, and we're going to get to it more in just a minute, but he's preaching this message of this grace that's free, that's unmerited. Right? It's not by works. It's only by faith that God justifies us, that God makes us righteous, that God gives us favor, that God gives us the Holy Spirit. <coughs> it's only by faith. So naturally, you have the same thing you have today. Well, then people were saying, well, shoot, if it's just by faith, then it doesn't matter what I do, right? If I can't earn salvation anyways, and they took the message of grace and they perverted it and twisted it to, well, I can do what I want because there's grace for that, right? Hey, brother, you know, you're in college. Hey, brother, you go have sex with your girlfriend all you want. There's, you know, God's grace. He's, he's, there's, so, there's grace. It covers it. Right? I'm telling you, that's really a message that is so heavy in this generation. I'm telling you, you can't read the little nuggets like this and get that theology. Paul is literally saying, right? because then they begin to say, well, 
The more that we sin, it just makes God look more holy, right? The more that I sin, it just shows the holiness of God even more because I'm just scum and he's more holy. Paul said, that is so stupid. Those who say such things deserve to be condemned. Another word, if you look at the King James, if you're reading it, those who say such things deserve to be damned. Wow. That's strong language. I'm telling you, in 2021, those are fighting words. Somebody says something, and you know what? You talking like that, that you deserve to be damned to hell for saying that. They say, that's unloving. That's not, where is that in the Bible? Read it. It's right there. Those who say such things deserve to be condemned. Amen. Uh, what's Paul saying? He's saying, sin is not good. So you could write this down. Any doctrine that takes a lie approach to sin is from the devil. Any doctrine that takes a lie approach to sin is from the devil. Any doctrine that produces in a person a lie approach to sin is from the devil. Even the doctrine, you know, there's doctrine, there's people that teach today that you know, your sins, your, your sins, past, future, future and present are all forgiven. I understand what they're saying. And when you study the Bible, you can find things that allude to, yes, when you came into Christ, you became a new creation. But again, I'm telling you, people have even taken that and twisted it to try to teach people that, hey, all of your future sins are already forgiven. And I'm going to tell you, there's people that take that and run with it and say, well, shoot. Well, I prayed a prayer one time when I was eight years old, so I'm saved, and that means I can be a homosexual, and because all of my sins are covered until the day that I die, and I'll go stand before God, and I'll be justified. Well, then what do you do with 1 Corinthians chapter 6, where Paul says, these will not inherit the kingdom of heaven, and he gives a list, and on that list is homosexuals. What do you do with that then? Those two theologies don't line up with one another. Obviously, that's not true. Amen. Uh, so any doctrine that takes a light approach to sin is from the devil. Let's keep reading. Verse 9. So, Paul's about to get to the climax of chapter 1 and chapter 2. If you've been here, you know that we've been reading this. And uh, in chapter 1... Paul, right, you got to understand, the church of Rome, it was kind of split. You had these Gentile believers, you had these Jewish believers. And so in the first two chapters, Paul's kind of addressing two different audiences. First, he goes on talking about them Gentiles in chapter 1, those dogs, right? They're pagans. They do filthy things. You know, they've traded the truth about God for a lie. They worship idols. They do all these horrible things. And the Jews are sitting there saying, oh, yeah, those Gentiles, they suck. We don't like them. You know, we're right. And then in chapter two, Paul flips it. And then he starts talking about you Jews. You think you're so righteous and holy and you have the law, but the very law you claim to obey condemns you because you don't even keep the law that you're trying to enforce on these Gentiles. And so now they're sitting there thinking, now the whole crowd's looking at Paul with wide eyes saying, oh my gosh, what's this dude's problem? You know, he's just ragging on all of us. And then he gets to his point. Why he's, 
What, what picture is he trying to paint here? Let's look at verse 9. Well then, should we conclude that we Jews are better than others? No, not at all. For we have already shown that all people, whether Jew or Gentiles, are under the power of sin. As the Scriptures say, look at this, no one is righteous, not even one. No one is truly wise. No one is seeking God. All have turned away. All have become useless. No one does good, not a single one. Their talk is foul like the stench from an open grave. Their tongues are filled with lies. Snake venom drips from their lips. Their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. They rush to commit murder. Destruction and misery uh, always follows them. They don't know where to find peace, and they have no fear of God at all. What is the point that Paul is trying to make here? Look at verse 23, and we'll come back to it, but this is his point. For everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. Yet God in His grace freely makes us right in His sight. And He did it through Christ Jesus when He freed us from the penalty of our sins. So, to kind of answer the question, what is Paul trying to get at? He's getting to this one statement. All have fallen short of the glory of God. And that's why every single person is in need of a Savior. Doesn't matter if you're a Jew. Doesn't matter if you're a Gentile. Doesn't matter if you're white, black, yellow, red. Doesn't matter who you are. You have fallen short. And without a Savior, you're going to hell. And then he tells them who that Savior is. His name was Jesus Christ and the way that they are saved. Are you all still with me? You know, and so that's a revelation everybody needs. There's people because they haven't went through tragedy in their life. They don't see a need for God. I remember I had a friend growing up. His parents worked the same jobs his whole life. You know, he lived in the same house his whole life. Uh, Vacation three times a year, had everything that he ever wanted, everything he ever needed. And I remember trying to minister Christ to him. And he really thought, well, Christ is for like the drug addicts. Christ is for the people that are messed up. I haven't really messed up. He's like, I've never even, you know, had a girlfriend. I've never done anything that bad. He didn't see his need for Christ. And that's what Paul is trying to teach and tell everybody. Everybody has fallen short of the glorious standard of God. And in fact, when you read the Bible, it says that if you've broken one law, you're as guilty as somebody that's broken them all. Right? And so it's not like we're going to get to heaven and... You know, there's just layers of how bad you, well, without Christ, right? Well, this person did a lot of good things and they were better than this person. You know, he jumped 10 feet and this person could only jump five feet. So I'm going to give you credit for that. No, the Bible says that if you don't come in through the only way, which is Jesus Christ, you will be damned to hell no matter how good you think your life was. Amen. Y'all, and I want to tell you, that's the thing, is that this, this generation, I don't think anybody in this crowd has a problem with that, but this generation thinks, if I just do enough good stuff, you know, I think I'll end up in a better place. You hear people talk like that. You know, if you listen to celebrities that die, uh, they, uh, their eulogy, they'll, they'll, they'll say things like, yeah, they were a pretty good person, and you know, they're in a better place now. They helped a lot of people. They brought a lot, of, a lot of laughs to people. And guys, that doesn't earn you heaven. Just because I don't care if you fed 15 million orphans. That's great. 
wonderful thing to do. But without coming through the singular way of Jesus Christ, you will die and you will go to hell no matter how many good things that you've done. Everybody needs Christ. Everybody needs Christ. Uh, And that's what Paul is trying to, that's the picture he's painting in all of this. So let's go back to verse 19. So it says, Obviously the law applies to those whom it was given. For its purpose is to keep people from having excuses and to show them (coughs) the entire world is guilty before God. For no one can ever be made right with God by doing what the law commands. The law simply shows us how sinful we are. Uh, So I'm going to pull two points out of this. Number one, there's still Christians that are running around trying to keep the law of Moses in in the old covenant, trying to be made right with God. And Paul says the purpose of the law was to never make anybody right with God because it couldn't make you right with God. Do you know what the purpose of the law was? To show you that you needed a Savior. Uh, Because the reality of it was there were so many details, there were so many things, there were so many pieces, so many parts. When you read through the law, you're like, oh my gosh, what in the stinking H-E-C-K is going on here? And he said anybody that is true and being genuine and, and evaluating themselves properly can look at that list and say, you know what, I know that I've messed it up in one of these areas. I know that I've missed it. And that was the purpose of it, was to look at it and show you that you needed something more. That I am a sinner that is in need of a Messiah, that's in need of grace, that's in need of mercy. That was the purpose of the law. But the Pharisees took that and actually began to believe that they were, they were doing all of it. They begin to take that and look at it and say, man, I'm perfect. Look how awesome I am. Look how, ama- look how much everybody else sucks and look how great I am. That's what the Pharisees were doing. And so he says the purpose of the law was to show them that they needed a Savior. Amen. You know, and what it would end up doing was people would receive the law, and then, yes, they would naturally try to obtain the standard that it sets. And that's what you see in the Old Testament. They're trying to obtain this standard. They're trying to obey the law. And what it should ultimately do was bring them to this place where they realize, I can't do this. I need, Lord, I need more. And that's, that's where the atonement of Christ comes in. And so... Here's something that's interesting as well, and this will make sense as you study the Bible, but it says in verse 19, the law applies to those whom it was given. So let me ask you this question. Who was the law given to? The Jews. The Gentiles never received the law of God. Were the Gentiles a part of the the tribes that were escorted out of Egypt? No, they weren't. The Gentiles weren't there when God gave the law to Moses. The Gentiles weren't a part of the covenant promise. So here's Paul's point. The law applies to whom it was given. So he was basically answering a controversy that was happening. These Jews, right? These Gentiles are getting saved and these Jews are coming behind them trying to put them under the law of Moses. 
You need to be circumcised. You need to do all these things. And Paul was saying, guys, you're, you're, you're crazy. This law was never even given to them to begin with. So Paul's like, I get it. If you're a Jew, think about a Jew that was born in that time period. Um, you know, they were actually alive like before Christ went to the cross and then still alive after he went to the cross. Imagine existing as a Jewish person in that time period. They actually experienced in their lifetime the transition from the old covenant to the new covenant. So they were kind of struggling with that. We grew up doing things this way our whole life, and now all of a sudden everything's changed. Paul's like, okay, I have grace for that. I have understanding where you guys are still trying to pull some of those little Jewish things into this. And, and if you read through the New Testament, you see that. That Paul's like, look, if you want to observe these little Jewish holidays, then you go right ahead and do that. That's great. That's wonderful. If that appeases your conscience, you do that. But when you're trying to force these Gentiles to do it, the law was never even given to them in the first place. Amen. And in fact, the problem was these Jews began to try to convince these Gentiles that they weren't really saved because they didn't keep the law like they kept the law. And Paul was like, absolutely not. They were never even given the law in the first place. Uh, verse 21. I think we're going to get through it tonight. It says, But now God has shown us a way to be made right with Him without keeping the requirements of the law as was promised in the writings of Moses. And the prophets long ago. So I'll say it again. God has shown us a way to be made right with Him without keeping the requirements of the law as promised in the writings of Moses and prophets long ago. So here's a, a point that, that Paul is kind of making uh, that all of the law and the prophets actually pointed to Jesus. So when you study the law and the prophets, what is the law and the prophets? It's, it's the law that was given through Moses and then they, the, the prophetic books that led up to the New Testament. Which is, I mean, I don't know the list of all of them. Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Habakkuk, Malachi, all these prophets that the Lord came and spoke through these people. Uh, but Paul's saying that even to these Jews, when you study the law and the prophets, you see that it was, it was always painting the picture of what was fulfilled before your very eyes. You know, I'll give you an example. When you read Isaiah 53, that is a a prophecy down to the T of Jesus. Go back and read Isaiah 53 and you will see that it is literally painting this description of Jesus who was going to come into the world, the Messiah that was going to come. That's where we have the verse that we always pull out that says he was beaten. Uh, it, let's just turn to it real quick. I don't want to misquote anything. Isaiah 53. He was pierced for our rebellion. Who was that talking about? He was crushed for our sins. He was beaten so we could be whole. He was whipped so he, we could be healed. If you read through Isaiah 53, all of us like sheep strayed away, but we have left God's path to follow our own. Yet God laid on him the sins of us all. Do you see it's painting this picture of Christ, of what Christ did when he came to the earth. It's funny because even uh, Moses in Deuteronomy 18, you can make a note of that. Moses prophesied about a prophet that would come. 
Moses told his people that through us there will be another one that, that comes, that is risen up. And when he comes, you obey and, and listen and do what he says. When you study that, it was a prophecy of Christ. And so I'm telling you that because Paul is basically saying God has shown us a, a way to be made right with him without keeping the requirements of the law as was promised in the writings of Moses and the prophets long ago. Um, here we go. So really what Paul was doing was the Jews that knew the word. You have to understand that these Jewish people, they knew the Bible. They knew the Old Testament. They knew the writings of Moses. They knew what the prophets had said. And so Paul was actually appealing to their knowledge of the word, saying, think about it. Think about the message that I'm telling you today. And if you really think about it, you can see where they were talking about this very thing all those years ago. So let's read verse 22 through 25. We are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. And this is true for everyone who believes no matter what. Hallelujah. Yeah, I want to tell you too that, you know, the devil, he'll always try to condemn you, especially of your past, of your, of your mistakes that you've made. And I'm telling you, that is one of the, the things that people struggle with most is their identity. Most Christians, the problem that they have in their life is they don't know who they are in Christ. You know, you think about this. I was thinking about these words this morning when I was praying. And, you know, John, Jesus said that John the Baptist was the greatest man that was ever born of woman. Did you know that? Jesus said that. He was the greatest prophet in the Old Covenant. Jesus said that was John the Baptist. And he said, yet the least in the kingdom is even greater than him. So think about how the, the amazing mantle and prophet that John the Baptist was, that he came, he prepared the way for Christ. I mean, the implications of his ministry and who he was, we don't really probably know because there's not a whole lot uh, in the story about John the Baptist, but Jesus said that. But yet the least in the kingdom is even greater than him. That means the second that somebody gets saved, before they ever do anything, they are already greater than John the Baptist was at the peak of his ministry on the earth. The Lord said, don't you realize the blessing that you've received? Don't you realize who you are? Don't you realize the, the position I've put you in? You don't know who you are. You don't know the authority that you've been given. You don't know the things that I've actually given to you. Hallelujah. And so most Christians, their problems that they struggle with is they don't know. They just struggle with their identity all the time. I just don't feel like I'm enough. Why do you feel like you're not enough? You don't know who you are in Christ. If you knew who you were in Him, who, where, where God has placed you, when you put your faith in Christ, where He seated you, your placement in the kingdom now, and everything that's been given to you, it would be impossible for you to feel that way. It would be impossible for you to think thoughts like that. It would be impossible for you to be anything but a strong, bold, 
spoken person, that's a, that's a mouthpiece for the Lord, that's a servant of the Most High God, because you know who you are. And so the thing about it is, we are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. So many people spend their whole life trying to obtain something that's given to them freely by faith. And the devil keeps you in this, this little dog chasing his own tail. You're always trying to, to, to get this, this stand. You know, you're always trying to get this blessing from the Lord. You're always trying. If I just do enough, then I'll become something substantial. I'll become somebody that matters. I'll become something in the kingdom. And there's these people that are constantly trying to do these things and chase this identity that God gives us freely the moment that we believe. And so here's the difference. Because they're always trying to obtain it, they never realize that they already got it. And so they never walk in it. They never live in it. They never use it. They never... They never get to eat the fruit of it. And so instead of trying to chase that identity, just understand, according to the Bible, you received it when you put your faith in Christ. God gave it all to you. That's why the Bible says, in Christ, God has given us His resounding yes and amen. All the promises of God in Christ are amen. What does that mean? Ephesians 1.3 Show you another thing. Ephesians 1 3. One of my other favorite verses I love. It says, All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms. Why? Where or why? Because we are united with Christ. What does that mean? Every spiritual blessing that God has to give, we receive all of it the moment that we were brought in to Christ. The moment we were counted in Christ, we received everything that God has to give. So think about this. Did you know that if you're a believer in this room, God is withholding nothing from you? Do you believe that? I'm not trying to get God to give me something. He's given it all to me in Christ. And now my life is not about trying to get God to give me something. It's actually getting in faith and possessing the things that God's already given to me in Christ. What does that mean? That means today, right now, you can decide I'm going to have as much. <laughs> I'm going to have everything. I'm going to have it all. I don't have to like rise to some level before I get there, before I get blessed, before I prosper, before any of these things. We have it all in Christ. Amen. So Paul was literally, you need to understand your identity. Um, so. For everyone has sinned and we all fall short of God's glorious standard, yet God in His grace freely makes us right in His sight. Say freely. He did this through Christ when He freed us from the penalty of our sins. For God presented Jesus as the sacrifice for sin. And people are made right with God when they believe that Jesus sacrificed His life, shedding His blood. This sacrifice shows that God was being fair when He held back and did not punish those in times past. 
Um, basically, here's just a little nugget of theology for you. But it says that God was being fair when he held back and did not punish those in times past. Who's he talking about? Have you ever asked the question like, what happened to the Old Testament saints that died? What happened to Abraham? Did he go to heaven? He couldn't have gone to heaven. If you could go to heaven without Christ, why did he ever have to come? Whatever happened to Moses? Whatever happened, whatever happened to these men? That they died before Christ came. There's no way that they could have gained access to the Father because then, then that would have proved that there was another way without Christ. But there is no other way. So what happened to them? I'm not going to get into all the theology, but Jesus actually taught us that when they died, they were preserved. And they, they were put in this place. And I know people use the word like purgatory. I'm not talking about Catholics purgatory. Uh, but Jesus actually taught of a place called Abraham's bosom. Uh, Everybody familiar? If you're not, write it down. Go look up the parable of Lazarus and the rich man. The, not Lazarus who Jesus raised from the dead. The servant named Lazarus. It paints this picture. It says that there was a servant named Lazarus who, who died and he went to Abraham's bosom. And then there was a rich man who died and he basically went to this place of suffering where the unrighteous go. Because do you guys understand this as well? That nobody's in hell right now? Nobody's in the eternal hell yet. Because when does that take place? After the final judgment. So nobody's in hell yet. So where are they right now? They're in a place that Jesus referred to that, you know, when we think about hell, right, we think of this dark place of torment where there's this weeping, where there's this gnashing of teeth. People have went to hell and had visions where they're like, man, we saw these demons and we saw these horrible things being done to people. Can I tell you, that's actually not eternal hell. Eternal hell is a lake of fire. In eternal hell, there's not going to be caves. There's not going to be jail cells that you're held in. In eternal hell, you're going to be in thrown into like a volcano where there's nothing but fire that burn, that you're just burning alive and can never die for eternity. So, I say all that to say, the Bible says that these saints, they were held in this place of the righteous called Abraham's bosom. And one of the works that Christ did is when He died, He went down and he actually proclaimed the message to the, the righteous that were being preserved, that were awaiting the Messiah. And it says that he, he left and he escorted. Uh, he escorted the righteous out of captivity. It's interesting. And again, I wasn't actually planning on talking about that, so I don't have all the references, but write that stuff down and, and uh, look up the references of what I'm telling you. And so, I mean, that is interesting if you think about that. You know, where did all these people go before Christ went to the cross? They couldn't have went to heaven. There was no way. Um, and so, that's what Paul was saying, was that God did not judge them. This was verse, let's see. This is verse 25. For God presented Jesus as a sacrifice for sin. People are made right with God when they believe that Jesus sacrificed His life, shedding His blood. This sacrifice shows that God was being fair when He held back and did not punish those who had sinned in times past. Just quickly flip over to Hebrews 11 real quick. 35-40. through 40. I'll show you 
this verse specifically that refers to this. Hebrews 11, 35-40. It says, um, Women received their loved ones back from the dead, but others were tortured, refusing to turn from God in order to be set free. They placed their hope in a better life after the resurrection. So if you go back, again, do some homework. This is talking about everybody from Abraham to the, all these Old Testament saints. It says, they placed their hope in a better life after the resurrection. They were jeered at and their backs were cut open with whips. Others were chained in prison. Some died by stoning and some were sawed in half and others were killed with the sword. Some went on wearing skins of sheep and goats, destitute, oppressed and mistreated. They were too good for this world, wandering over deserts and mountains and hiding in caves and holes in the ground. All of these, uh, all of these people earned a good reputation. Because of their faith, yet none of them received all that God had promised them. It says, for God had something better in mind for us so that they would not reach perfection without us. So when you go back and study this, it's basically saying that all of these Old Testament saints from Abraham to Moses to the, the prophets, they were all looking forward to the Messiah coming. They were all looking forward to God's answers, but they, that God's answer to this problem, but they never saw it come to fruition. They never saw it come to fruition in their lifetime. Does that make sense to everybody? Yeah. Um, yeah. So go back and do some studying on that. Now, let's finish this. We have like three more verses left. Romans three. Um, let's see here, verse twenty-seven. Can we boast then that we have done anything to be accepted by God? If this is a free gift that God gives us, can we boast that we have done anything to be accepted by God? Can we? No. Because our acquittal is not based on obeying the law. It's based on faith. Say faith. faith. So we are made right with God through faith, not obeying the law. The law. After all, is God the God of the Jews only? Isn't he also the God of the Gentiles? Of course he is. There is only one God and he makes people right with himself only. Say it only. only. So there's only one way to receive the promises of God, to be justified by God, to be made righteous in God's sight, to receive eternal life. He makes people right only by faith whether they are Jew or Gentiles. Well, then if we emphasize faith, does this mean we can forget about the law? Of course not. In fact, only when we have faith do we truly fulfill the law. I'm going to end tonight in verse 31 by saying this. Um, whenever it uses the word fulfill, somebody that has another translation, like the New King James, what does it say? What does it say? In 31, yeah. It says, do we then make void the law? Make void the law? Okay, if you read like the New King James or King James, it uses the word establish the law. Because you can almost get the wrong idea reading verse 31 that says, now we can truly fulfill the law. Uh, a lot of Christians would take that then and say, well, now that we've been born again, 
we actually have the ability to, to, to obey all the laws and commands. Right? But if you did that, then that would mean that we'd have to go back to sacrificing animals and doing all this crazy... That's not what it's talking about. So when he uses the word fulfill, it's not really a great depiction of that. The, the, the original is the word establish. So establish, if you look at the Greek word used here, it's to make stand. Uh, to make something stand. So basically... What this is saying is that our faith in Christ, when Christ came, he established. He was the ground that now the law has something to stand on. So um, let me give you just three points real quick before I pray you out. Number one, what does it mean that Christ established the law? It means that like Chris, Miss Kim said, he fulfilled it. This is Matthew 5, 17. Jesus said, no, don't understand, why, don't misunderstand why I have come. I did not come to abolish the law of Moses or the writings of the prophets. No, I came to accomplish their purpose. So think about that. What was the purpose of the law? Now remember when we just covered that a few verses ago, the purpose of the law was to show that nobody is without excuse. So Christ saying, I came to fulfill its purpose. What was the purpose? I, I came to give you the righteousness that you could never get any other way. Does that make sense to everybody? And that's exactly what we'll read real quick. Romans 8.3, flip over there. The law of Moses was unable to save us because of the weakness of our sinful nature. So God did what the law could not do. He sent His only Son in a body like the bodies we sinners have. And in that body, God declared an end to sin's control over us by giving His Son as a sacrifice for our sins. So basically, the righteousness, you know, if, if you think about, here's me, and then here's God's standard, and there's this big gap that's in between us. Christ provided the righteousness. Christ filled in the gap where now in God's sight, we, we meet that standard. But it's not done by our own works. It's done by faith, and it's given to us as a free gift when we put our faith in Christ. Amen? Amen. Hallelujah. I wrote down Romans 10.4. Let me flip over that and, and uh, see what that verse says. Romans 10.4. It says, For Christ has already accomplished the purpose for which the law was given. As a result, all who believe in Him are made right with God. So again, the purpose of the law was to point us to the Messiah. And then Christ came as the Messiah and fulfilled it by actually making a way for us to be made righteous in God's sight. He did what the law could never do for the Jews. Amen. Say, I receive all of that by faith. I want you to say this. Say, I am righteous right now by faith. I want you to say, I am justified before God right now because of my faith. Say, I have all of God's blessing. Right now, by faith, in Christ. Amen. Father, we thank you for your word. 
Lord, I know I probably said some crazy things. Maybe people have never heard tonight. Uh, but Lord, I just ask for the Holy Spirit to reveal those things to them as they go home this week and they press into your word and maybe look into some of these things that I said that you would teach them. You're the best teacher, Lord. You're a far better teacher than I could ever be. The Holy Ghost is the best teacher. And, and, and Lord, you'll speak to them by the Spirit. I thank you, Father, that this word, it, it stirred us. It's helped form our understanding of your word and, and grow and, and, and walking in all the promises that your word gives us. We give you glory. We love you. And we thank you for everything that you've given, given to us in Christ. We receive it. By faith, in Jesus' name, everybody said, amen. amen, guys. I love you. We finished the whole chapter tonight. We've never done that before. Praise God. Y'all are great. I'll see y'all Sunday morning. You're dismissed. God bless you guys. Thank you so much for tuning in with me as I shared the word of God. If you would like to become more than just a casual listener and want to give to our ministry, you can do so in the following ways. For credit or debit, go to www.nbchuntington.org donate. For PayPal, you can send it to NBC Huntington. For Cash App, use dollar sign capital NBCHTX20. Thank you so much. I pray God blesses you abundantly. Until next time. This is John Wallace.